Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and I am talking to you from New York City, sitting in my hotel room, ready for Blockchain Week. But what we're going to talk about today has nothing to do with Blockchain Week. We're going to do 101s on three different coins. We have Casino Coin, Decred, and Horizon. Now, Horizon, formerly known as Zencash, was on the show already, but it's been about a year and there's a lot to talk about. So enjoy these 101s on three different coins and use cases in the crypto space. But before we get into that, remember to follow us on Twitter, crypto underscore underscore 101, my personal Twitter, Matthew underscore underscore 101, and join us on Facebook, join the conversation, talk to like-minded people about cryptocurrency, blockchain, Bitcoin, and all of the cool things that are coming out of this space on our Facebook community, Crypto 101 community. Don't forget, this is not financial advice, trading advice, investment advice, coin recommendations, personal advice, or anything of the like, but this is educational. I want to say thank you to Randy and Jay for editing this episode. And don't forget, wherever you're listening to this episode, please hit the subscribe button, give us a five-star rating, and leave us a great comment. It helps us stay visible, and also it attracts more people to the show so they can get great educational information on the crypto space. So without further ado, here is 101s on three different coins. We'll see you after the show. Rob Viglioni, CEO and co-founder of Horizon. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thanks for having me back, Matt. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's good to talk to you. Last time we spoke, you were out grabbing craft beers. It's a little early in the morning or in the afternoon for that. So I think you're probably sober. No, I'm actually in Milan, Italy right now. So it really is about happy hour time. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Excellent, man. Well, I hope you get some good vino. Um, and the reason, <laughs> but getting into the conversation, the reason why I said your name, the Horizon, I didn't know that Zen was still in the name. Last time we spoke to you were a Zen Cash. You told me you were changing. You might have changed it to Zen, but then you just totally flipped it on me. Took me by surprise at least and went Horizon. And now I just learned that Zen is still in the name because I'm too stupid to figure out letters and mix <laughs> match things up. Can you tell us can you please tell us about that branding switch? What prompted to that? Totally. So the big thing is, you know, we have a cryptocurrency, a privacy oriented cryptocurrency, which was Zen Cash. And now we just refer to it as Zen. But that was really the focal point of the project and the earliest days. But since then, we've actually expanded significantly on building up more of a platform system. So it just doesn't make sense to call a platform system, you know, a cash, right? So we knew that we had to rebrand at some point and Horizon just made a lot of sense from a, a bunch of different angles. So I mean, yes, we kept Zen in there and our ticker is still Zen. So you know, we, we misspelt the Horizon, you know, and it also signifies we're, we're forward looking, we're always looking at that kind of technology frontier. So you know, it just symbolizes our project nicely. Right on, man. And, and so go, go into what is your project? Give us a 101 on what is Horizon. Totally. So our project, like I said, started off as a privacy cryptocurrency. But really now the big thing that makes us unique, well, security and robustness is really at the core of what we do. So if you look at us from a security perspective, you know, that's the number one driver for everything that we do. And if you follow our quarterly software updates and our monthly live streams where we talk about everything, you'll see the constant efficiency gains, but really more robustness built into our software. So we were actually 51% attacked um, last year. And what it got us doing was thinking about how do we solve this problem? So we're not just kind of waiting around for the next attack. So uh, we built in some really nice enhancements. So instead of just doing kind of like the longest chain rule with Nakamoto consensus from Bitcoin and most of the projects that just copy it, we actually added a second check in consensus. So actually we've kind of uh, circumvented the typical attack factor that people used to attack these things. But that's just to say that at, at our core, security is really important. We've layered in different types of cryptography to protect our network. We, we still use zero-knowledge cryptography at the payload level for you know encrypted uh, you know transactions, messaging, but really the kind of secret, or not secret, but the really big differentiator for us on the technology side is what we're doing right now. And actually why I'm in Milan is we have our R&D and engineering center here, and we're going full steam ahead on a, a fully decentralized sidechain system. So really our architecture is one where we're, we're solving, you know, like what real world problem are we solving here? Well, we're solving a big problem in the industry, which has to do with scaling. So security and scaling are two huge problems in this industry. And on the scaling side, we have this secure main chain that we've been working on for the last couple of years. But now with a sidechain system, 
we're doing specific functions instead of you know running everything through your your main chain. Say like the simple example of say CryptoKitties on Ethereum would not run on the the Horizon main chain. It would be its own dedicated side chain, so it wouldn't bog down the entire system. Basically, we're going to open up the system. We're building a software developer kit right now where anyone can build their own side chains, and we also launched a commercial enterprise for, to help businesses build side chains that are useful to solve real world use cases. But really, any developer can launch a side chain. So if you want to you want to launch a, a real estate side chain. Don't go and build your own blockchain. Um, don't try to think about running your own nodes or worrying about security and consensus. Run a Horizon sidechain. We take care of all that stuff for you. You connect to the largest blockchain node network in the world right now. You know, and we handle all of the security and consensus stuff for you. So we'll have you know real estate sidechains, tokenization sidechains, you know, really healthcare sidechains, any kind of functional problem that you, we have in the real world. You'll see a sidechain you know built on the Horizon network. So that's that's really our our bread and butter of where we're going as a project. You jog my memory. I remember that you were on the show right after the 51% attack ah, you hopped yes. on and talked and yes. talked about yeah. the whole 51% attack. When it comes to Nakamoto consensus, is Nakamoto consensus flawed or is it only just specific to Horizon's blockchain? No, it's not flawed at all. I, I mean, it works within a certain range or a certain domain. It does its job, but the industry has evolved significantly since then. There's much more of an economic incentive now to attack these networks. So for instance, on Bitcoin running purely the longest chain rule, it's worked, you know, since 2009 when they, they had the Genesis block since then. I mean, there's been some you know big ups and downs, but generally when you have 18 or 20 exo hashes of hash rate on your network, it's pretty tough to hijack it. Um, that said, it's still possible, but pretty tough. But when you have all of these other projects that are just, you know, I mean, by definition, significantly smaller on the mining networks that support it. And if they still maintain proof of work, it's nice to add something else. So what a lot of projects do, I think erroneously, is to just assume that what works for Bitcoin is going to work for them. You know, conditions change, the environment changes, markets change. So we changed and we built in a second kind of security check there, which I think is absolutely critical, especially for other midsize or, or smaller projects. You guys are, seem to be focused more as a platform, more focused more on side chains. Are you still focused also on privacy? And how does that incorporate into the side chains, building the side chains? You use the example of real estate. A real estate guy wants to say, hey, don't build your own blockchain network. We have the most nodes. You put it on, put it, make a side chain, run your real estate on the Horizon uh, network. Is that your main focus? And how does privacy come into uh, this any, or if it does anymore? So it's funny that I, I didn't even talk about privacy yet because it's just so fundamental in my mind for everything that we do. So we, we actually don't build anything without privacy already built into its core. So yes, privacy is absolutely critical to what we do. So the long-term vision on just say, what, what's the purpose of our blockchain even existing? Really, the purpose for me is to endow individuals with complete ownership of their own data. And this comes by actually strong privacy and strong cryptography. So individuals own or have really control over everything that they, they generate. Now, how does this relate to our side chains is actually we have, you know, some very talented cryptographers working on our project right now to actually build a very interesting recursive snark model for actually using zero knowledge cryptography to verify the consensus rules on our side chains are actually valid because we have to have the main chain validate what happens on a side chain without actually getting into the weeds of every side chain because we do ultimately envision a world of thousands or tens of thousands of side chains. To us, a side chain is a more generalized version of a smart contract. It's more generalized because you could do more with it because smart contracting will be side chains. We will have side chains that do smart contracting but we'll be able to tailor it in different ways rather than having you know a full Turing complete scripting language for our entire chain. We'll be able to parse out what type of scripting languages or scripting functions do we need? Do we need full Turing complete or whatever? But you know, a key to this is to actually have the main chain validate that what the sidechain is doing is actually secure. And we actually use uh, very strong zero knowledge cryptography to make that happen. So built into the core of every single sidechain is you know a very sophisticated zero knowledge cryptography library. So yes, the answer is absolutely Absolutely. Privacy is still absolutely fundamental to what we're doing. You said this one word that I always like to hear because it gives me an automatic question. You uh -huh. said, will, we will have, what yes. do you have now and what will you have? Yeah. So what we have right now is uh, a Bitcoin like, but more uh, security enhanced main chain with a cryptocurrency and a messaging protocol built into it. What we're working on right now is a side, the sidechain SDK. So we're extending the, the core blockchain protocol to be able to allow an unbounded number of sidechains to be able to plug into it in kind of a, a permissionless way. So that's, that, that's the differentiator of where we are. So where we are is kind of like, like an enhanced Bitcoin protocol that, you know, is enhanced
just for security purposes. You know, we layered more cryptography in there. So we have, you know, secure node to node encryption. Uh, we've layered in this, this second check on our consensus to make sure that, you know, the longest chain rule isn't being violated in some nefarious way, like a 51% attack. But the will is the stuff that we're doing right now. And it's not far off in the future. We have a team powering forward right now on it. And that's why I'm actually visiting them here in Milan. But that's the, you know, say three to six months on the horizon, no pun intended, of where we're going to be is opening huh. up the protocol to to this decentralized sidechain system. And, and I talk about it so excited because I, I think it is it's truly the you know what we've done on the main chain is we have performance enhancements and security enhancements in say messaging protocol using zero knowledge and, and that's cool but you know they're kind of marginal improvements the sidechain system is is a massive unique innovation and, and this is why I'm so excited about it because it's our biggest contribution to the industry so I'm really really happy about where we're going with it awesome looking at your uh, coin market cap right now not talking about price but I do want to talk about circulating supply and max supply. Where are the, the tokens? Are they, they mineable or some tokens are parsed out to founders and co-founders and things like that? No, nothing like that. So actually egalitarian is a big part of our just general ethos. So we're fully mineable and actually everything that any one of us own is, you know, uh, founders or, or, you know, insiders is because we went out to the market and bought it or we earned it by working for the foundation and getting paid in a transparent way. So no, there, there's no pre-mine at all. It's purely Bitcoin-like. So we, we actually didn't change the monetary policy of the system. It's still 21 million max supply, and we still have the exact same emission rate or schedule as Bitcoin does. You know, just we started 10 years later. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. You know, going back to privacy, you know, there's a lot of like privacy hype and words, you know, up around privacy. What's most private? And I think in our last conversation, we actually discussed what classifies as most private. I revisited that question when I had Beam on the show and they're working uh, with Mimblewimble. And what is the differences in privacy when it comes to something like Horizon, when it comes to something like Beam or Grin or something like that? Yeah, so I mean, it really comes down to the type of cryptographic protocol that you're deploying. And we have to think about this also from a user perspective. And the way we run this project is, you know, yes, we do some pretty cool R&D and we're building some cool engineering stuff. But at the end of the day, we're running it like a business and we're trying to understand what real world problems are we solving and are we solving them efficiently? So when we think about privacy, what are the problems we're solving with privacy? And then, you know, once you kind of exceed a certain threshold of privacy, is it worth further investment to kind of keep tweaking that? I don't know, actually. So from my perspective, the differences of the projects that are out there on the marketplace and the privacy solutions they have started off with really simple things. In the early days of Bitcoin, it was basically, let's start mixing UTXOs or mixing coins. Yeah, so you can't really, it makes it harder to see who owns what coin, where it came from. And then th that was all off-chain mixing. And then, you know, you started seeing these kind of crypto note protocols where they're doing on-chain mixing. When I, and then you started seeing these zero-knowledge protocols zero from zero coin to, you know, zero cash, and then you know, ultimately going into Zcash and then and Zen, you're seeing just an application of you know, LibSnark or these zero knowledge, you know, snark based um, projects. It, and that's fine. It's it's a different abstraction for how we do privacy. But at the end of the day, is there any difference in utility for a user using Monero versus, you know, Zen or Zcash? I don't know. I, I, I question it. And then you see Grin and, and Beam deploying a different kind of way of obscuring, you know, origin of coins and who owns what and where they're going. That's okay. It's cool. I, I really like the innovation. But from my perspective, we're actually not focusing on enhanced privacy and cryptography because we think that what we have is more than sufficient for 99.999 whatever you know percent of the use cases. We're perfectly fine, and if that changes, of course, we'll be advanced leaders there and helping upgrade our platform. But you know, I'm not interested actually in continuing more privacy research. What I'm interested in now is continuing research in other things like side chains that will actually make us scalable and actually employ real business solutions, interested in research on how our network, you know, stack operates and make sure that it's efficient. And really, like the research that I'm interested in is making our technology get out into the hands of the everyday user. So that's my perspective on privacy. I think, I mean, what we have is extremely sophisticated and it's still way cutting edge, but I'm happy that there are other people experimenting in the space. And I think that's good. Ultimately, it'll benefit everyone. No, I, I feel you, man. It's kind of like when you see somebody sitting on the highway in a traffic jam with a Lamborghini or something and you're driving at least on Ultima. <laughs> It's like, you really don't need that fast car to be sitting in traffic with me. You don't exactly. need to. Over <laughs> my, exactly. mom, my, my mom likes my MacBook Pro and all she does is play Candy Crush. You do not need a MacBook Pro, Ma. <laughs> that, that, that's such a good analogy. I completely agree.
you mentioned something in that. You said problems that you're solving. What are the problems you're solving? If you can give me a quick list of the actual problems. Oh, that's a really good one. Okay, so we have um, actually one announcement I should probably do is we launched a, a for-profit spinoff called Horizon Labs. And Horizon Labs is really the, the B2B arm of our organization. So with Horizon Labs, we actually have about half a dozen design partners and we're using our technology and designing side chains that solve some of the real world problems. And some of these problems include, for instance, uh, we're working with a very large uh, digital invoicing company in, uh, in one country where they, they dominate the market in that country and they have a problem of being able to know what is the most recent and valid, say, corporate document, whether it's a power of attorney, corporate bylaws or whatnot. It sounds like boring stuff, right? But if you're doing large volumes of business and you have to know and guarantee that a particular document that you're working on is actually the latest and hasn't been superseded by another document that's also legal and you know binding to the company, you know what we offer with a blockchain solution is actually extremely valuable. It's really low cost. It scales significantly. It's secure. You can publish information and validate that what you've published, you published, you know, on schedule, it hasn't been tampered with. And we can use zero knowledge cryptography to actually keep your information private and you can selectively reveal it when you want to. Um, so that's that's one, one thing that we're doing. We have another design partner where we're looking at smart city uh, implementations with blockchain. So kind of a, an IoT blend with blockchain and try to help municipal governments actually manage their cities better. Uh, we have a banking client that we're actually looking at uh, doing many things for the bank, everything from capital raising to stable coin issuance to actually service their own marketplace that they have. Let's see, what else do we have in terms of design partners? It's, you know, we, we have a healthcare use cases that we're, we're looking at. I mean, it, it's sort of a wide net right now, but that's our, our philosophy is we know that we have a unique technology that we can deploy in a bunch of different settings, but I think it's much better to actually get it out there in sort of an MVP market um, or product form and then see what the market thinks about it in the real world rather than just kind of, you know, hypothesizing about the way all the value we're going to create in the world, I'm much more of a fan of let's get out there and get a product to market and see how it actually works. Fair enough. Fair enough. If people like the product that you are trying to put to market after this conversation, how can they find you? No, go to horizon.global. And truly, this is a one-stop shop for everything. If you're an engineer, you can find our GitHub repository there. If you want a wallet, you can find it. You can find the few dozen exchanges that were listed on there. You can find more about the team, find our white papers for all these different you know tech projects that we're working on right now. Really, it's uh, if you're interested in joining our community, probably the best spot is to join our Discord channel. Um, so if you're not on Discord yet and you're in this industry, you probably should download Discord and join our, our Discord group. It's a very active, vibrant community. We have a Telegram channel, all the usual stuff you would expect from a, a crypto project. Awesome. Mr. Rob Viglioni, CEO and co-founder of Horizon. Thank you for coming to Crypto 101 <laughs> again, sir. <laughs> Thank you so much, Matt. It's always a pleasure. Marco Paraboom. New Systems Development Lead of Decred. Welcome to Crypto 101. Thank you for having me. Sir, really quick, let's get straight into it. Tell us a little bit about the origins of Decred and a little bit of history about yourself. I'm a bit of an old open source developer and, you know, a security guy. I've been writing operating systems code and all kinds of interesting things. And I'm a guy who typically will reinvent the internet if needed. So I've been working on Decred pretty much from the very beginning. And, you know, before that, I worked on Bitcoin and related projects. And, you know, before that, I worked on, on cloud stuff, encrypted data storage, you know, servers, internet stuff, just a wide variety of tech. Cool. And what about the origin of Decred? How did this all start? And what was the motivation to Decred? So we we actually, uh, as, a, as a group of people, we built a, a suite called BTC Suite, full node Bitcoin implementation. That was a really cool piece of software, uh, and we were hoping, you know, that other folks would agree with that. But it turns out that there were some some powers that be in the Bitcoin community that didn't love it, and so they were a bit hesitant to accept it. And um, so that is actually how we landed on the ideas for Decred because. They wanted actually nobody in there in the little sandbox. So what we did with Decred is trying to realize the ideal of cryptocurrency and, you know, and solve some governance issues, right? So, so how do you resolve disputes? So how do you, as a community, move forward even when there's an ugly decision that needs to be made? So, and that's where we landed with Decred. So it's a community-directed digital currency. And um, you know, it's meant as a superior store of value that is going to be around for generations to come. So we are uh, secure, adaptable. We are self-funded, which is very important, which means that, that there is no conflict of interest. So people can still work from, from their basement or on the other side of the planet. It doesn't matter. 
they have their own agendas. Where did the name Decred come from? Um, I, I've heard some complaints about the name. What it actually means is decentralized credit. And anybody who has read any science fiction books knows that money is always credits in, in science fiction books. So decentralized True. money is really what the idea was. But I'm not sure we got that right. Actually, Decred sounds better than decentralized or D-money. D-money. Yeah, D-money, yeah. <laughs> oh, I actually personally love the name, but but I have some I've heard some folks complain about it. Tell us a little bit about this governance. You said that that it, this is a fork of Bitcoin, correct? It is not a fork of Bitcoin. We wrote this. Oh, okay, scratch. cool. So what we did do is we forked the original code that we had written as the Bitcoin implementation. So the, all the Bitcoin bits and pieces have pretty, pretty much been replaced with Decred bits and pieces. Excellent. And what is this new governance that you wanted to put on this platform? So what we really wanted to do is give voice to stakeholders. So that is different than, than Bitcoin. What that enables the, the community to do is, is to actually vote on, on big changes. So whereas Bitcoin's protocol is essentially set in stone and it was actually designed not to ever be changed, we figured that it would be helpful to have the ability to make modifications over time. So as, uh, as most folks know, software breaks over time. What, what seemed a good idea back then turns out not to be a great idea and needs to be revised. So it allows us to make tough decisions, to make changes to consensus and protocol. And, and that is important if you want to be around for a long time. So that pillar of governance gives us longevity. So we are going to be able to adapt you know, and deal with the unknown unknowns, if you will. Okay, so let's use a... Example, I think everybody probably would know. And let's talk about Bitcoin's block size. The debate of should the block size be increased? Can you walk us through how that would be decided on Bitcoin and how that would be decided on, say, Decred? So in, in Decred, actually, so what I did not say in the prior segment, which I probably should have said, is that there's another pillar to Decred governance, and that is the ability to make decisions that are not protocol and consensus. And also to, to disburse funds, so basically pay people for work. So I, I left that out, but, but that's an important piece to answer this, this question. So a big block debate would probably start as a debate. A bunch of people yelling at one another on the internet, it's a good idea, it's a terrible idea, you know, and then some profanity is probably used. And that actually has no value. So what we would do in Decred is somebody would put up a proposal saying, we would like to propose to raise the uh, decred block limit to, let's say, 10 megabytes. Then a debate would ensue. And this debate, and by the way, this whole proposal in the in debate thing would happen on a platform called Politeia. That is a piece of software that we wrote that is meant literally to keep track of all these things. So it cannot be censored. Politeia would be spelled P-O-L-I-T-E-I-A, correct? Correct. So that is our platform to have these debates and ultimately come to a decision. So what we this would be more of a signaling thing, right? So if the community is, is categorically against doing any of this, then it probably will not be worth writing the code for it, right? So if the community is, is kind of split on it, then that means, you know what, there's a, there's a chance that this could be a good idea. So now then the proposal has got to move to, let's call it a next phase. And then that basically means that somebody needs to be paid to do the work, right? So somebody signs up to do the work, the work gets done. And then actually that code will be made part of the actual code base. So note that no decision has been made yet, but the code has been written. And this is important because once you start voting on chain to see if we are going to pass the big block vote, it needs to be active already. So in other words, there's going to be no backseas. So once people vote for it, and it passes, then that would be, you know, the new law of the land. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. I have a question about changing of code. Um, meaning, you know, humans are flawed, right? And it takes a long time for code or anything to become perfect. And, you know, you won't see any backdoors, so any, anything that's broken, anything that's, you know, somebody can find a vulnerability. With changing the code so often, do you find that you make a, for a weaker system or stronger? So I would argue stronger, but let's get one thing out of the way here, though, is that consensus votes and protocol votes are very few and far between. So they don't happen that often. And I think we totally had at this point about four or five of them total in Decred's, what, three-year existence? So they, they are pretty rare and for the reasons you just brought up. So A, consensus shouldn't be changing all that often, right? Because that, that basically means you, you did something wrong if it has to change a lot. But sometimes if you want to add additional features, this is where it becomes a valuable tool. So, for example, another thing that we did that you might have heard of is called atomic swaps, which basically means you could exchange 
cryptocurrency between two different coins. So you could exchange, let's say, Litecoin for Decred. So uh, in order to support and to make that functionality work, we had to make a consensus change. And that is where the tool is very, very handy to basically make these tough decisions, right? So, and you're making a minimal change to consensus to allow an extra thing to, to be done. And, and with that, we got the ability to, to do atomic swaps. Decred is a currency. Yes. It's meant to be spent between P2P or B2B. What is your vision for Decred? Oh, that is a long debate. <laughs> no, so. Well, I, I, I don't know if it's a debate. It's just your vision. So. Uh, okay, my vision. So I want to create a superior cryptocurrency that holds value in an exchange with, with multiple people. And I also want to be able to have say over. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details it how it is done and how things work so in other words the i want the community to have a say in in the direction of of this cryptocurrency so the stakeholders that haven't obviously hold value they have a a selfish interest in making sure that the network stays healthy so and i hope that the wisdom of the crowd uh, of all these stakeholders will push this this cryptocurrency into the future and do things that that we haven't thought about yet so another thing is the ability to be free of certain things. So Decred, it's a project, right? So it's But it's not a, a government and it's not a, uh, a corporation. Yet there's all these people that have self-organized and are doing work and are perpetuating this technology and are making it better. That is one of the most exciting things that I've ever worked on. That, that, is, that in itself for me is a goal, is to have this self-funded technology that provides a monetary system for anyone in the world. So for it to be successful, people have to use it. What is Decred's transaction volume right now? Oh, I, I honestly don't have the right the number of that on top of my head. I write code. I don't keep track of you know stats very often. No worries. No, no so, worries. so what what I can say is that the the coin market cap values I think somewhere between one and a half and five million dollars a day is I think is the norm. Right, but the, but coin market cap is looking at trade volume yeah i don't correct? have yeah so, yeah yeah that's no that's no worries and the reason why i asked that is you know we always look at these coins or these currencies as being successful by via their trade volume who's swapping them back and forth but i really want to know who's using these especially with, when it comes to currencies i do have a bit of an answer for that if, if you okay. will um absolutely Decred has a contracting system so part of the self-funding means that as a software developer or as a marketeer you can show up do work and and get paid in Decred. Uh, so in other words, Decred has created this, this its own little economy where the people working on Decred are paid in Decred. And therefore, you know, by adding value in their time to the network, they also have a selfish interest in bringing other people into Decred. It really is its own little economy. I, I, I understand that. So is the end goal of being a Decred economy, Decredonomics, if you will, or is end goal to be the currency, the digital currency that you can buy bread and beer and soda at the store? Well, with? so ultimately that would be the case, but I think we need to be realistic of where, where we are in, in time at this point. So I think that there is a huge potential that that can, can be, be the case, but it's not going to be in, in the next couple of years. So, but yes, that would be okay, so we know, fantastic if we can get it that easily to use. So, so we know the governance. We know why it's made. We know what your plans are or what your wishes are for Decred. How do you compete? What is the point of differentiation between Decred and all these other currencies that are out there, digital currencies like Coin Monero, what have you, anything, Bitcoin Cash even? Uh, what, what, what is the difference and how do you think that you're going to be the coin or the cash to be buying the bread and milk and cereal at the grocery store opposed to 
these hundreds of other. So ones. honestly, I think that the answer to that is is our um, governance model. So with the governance model, we buy the capability, or we have the capability to make tough decisions and to also modify the currency into something that is more useful 10, 20, 30 years from now. So the, that adaptability is really what sets us apart from, say, a Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, is, it is what it is. And another thing that I think is, is important to note is that I personally think that forking is unhealthy for the community. So it has happened a couple of times now with Bitcoin. Uh, some of the forks are more unfortunate than others. But the one thing that I do seem to have in common is that you create these warring factions between one Bitcoin and the other Bitcoin. And I don't think that's healthy, right? And I, I even see some of these offshoots pretending to be the actual Bitcoin and then misinforming people. And, and that does not help the community at all. That does not help Bitcoin. It, it is, in, in my opinion, that's actually detrimental to the entire space. Gotcha. So basically, you want every, all the coins to live in harmony, and it's possible because of atomic swaps. Well, yeah. So, well, I, I also know of the opinion that not all of these coins are going to be around uh, very long term. A lot of these things are just going to <laughs> simply disappear, and they're not going to be successful. And, and one of the reasons why I think that Decred will be successful is, again, our ability to adapt to future needs. So I, I do want to say another thing here, though. Is So uh, Decred is the developers have been around worked on, on Bitcoin code for a very long time. So th we are not, you know, a flash in the pan or a marketing created organization. So we are a bunch of guys that and girls that believe, you know, in a certain thing and we want to make the best of that. So we are we are not here to to solve a, you know, a, a marketing problem. No, I totally I totally understand that. Okay, so my actually my, my last question was going to be if people want to be involved in Decred, now even if you want to talk about the community, the development, the governance or just use Decred in their day-to-day -day life and start transacting with it, can you give us some direction of how to do well, that? Well, so first off, I would direct people to go to Decred.org. There is a mountain of information there uh, on how to use it, so the more technical uh, how to use this, the, this, this cryptocurrency. We have folks that spend entire days just writing documentation and actually answering uh, users' questions. So that is, that is a very important resource. So the other thing that is happening is that Decred is, we are more of a develop first uh, and then, you know, show pretty stuff later. So what we have been doing the last couple of years is kind of heads down and really trying to get the technology to a point where we where it becomes more available to, to more people. So when we are getting to a point now where we, are, we can start bringing on uh, somewhat less technical folks and we are iterating on that. So our wallet, for example, is extremely simple to use. And I would argue that most folks would figure that out pretty quickly if they have ever used online banking. So it's it's getting to a point where we can start bringing on more people. So and 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 as we progress through these development phases where things are becoming increasingly simple to use, we want to cast a wider net, is get more and more people involved, and even you know in the more day to day stuff. So the paying in bread. So we are going to make pushes in in that direction. How easy is it to use Decred? You said it's like online banking. Can't my mom, can grandma go go to your website, download a wallet, and just you know, is it intuitive? So I would argue yes, but I am a guy who deals with it every day, right? So other folks <laughs> might have other ideas. So here's what I can tell you that I know for a fact: if I compare the, the Crediton, which is the Decred wallet, to most other wallets, I, I it is without a doubt much simpler to use. So the only people that, that make wallets that are as easy to use, for example, um, shoot, I'm drawing a blank now. What's their name? They're really great, actually. Um, Exodus. Exodus makes an outstanding wallet as well that is relatively simple to use. So I think mm -hmm. that the biggest problem in crypto is the on and off ramp, right? So buying Decred or acquiring Decred is the most complicated part. Once you have it, it's extremely simple to use. So I, I think that as a community and as a, you know, um, not just Decred, but the entire cryptocurrency community, we need to find better ways to get people into the cryptocurrency space. So uh, I don't want to plug too many things, but one of the most promising technologies that I've seen from a getting grandma to use the perspective is a product called Cointext. And you can literally send mm. Decred to another person using a text message. No wallets set up, none mm. of that. And it's pretty much instantaneous. So I can go to a farmer's market you know, send somebody a text message. And now th those people have value in Decred. Excellent. That's awesome. I'm going to look more into it. Marco Paraboom of Decred. Thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101 and giving us a 101 on the project. Well, thank you so much for having me. I hope it was informative. 
John Caldwell of Casino Coin, Director of Advocacy. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thanks for having me. We're going to just get right into this. I love just kicking it off, going straight for the meat. Tell us a little bit about yourself, sir. Uh, I have a goofy background. So I grew up in LA and in and around music. And uh, so that led me to the music business where I was at Atlantic Records for a few years. Um, got super lucky, super early and uh, wound up working with a band called Stone Temple Pilots. I was one of their managers for um, for about four years. Left, uh, Atlantic offered me my own label, left and partnered for that label with uh, Hoodie the Bowfish. And so did a whole 15 year music thing. And then the music business collapsed. Napster, perhaps you've heard of it. So I found myself with a ton of time and a bit of cash. And so I started playing a lot of poker, but I couldn't find information about poker anywhere. And so that led to me starting pokernews.com with a guy in Lithuania. So I actually moved from Los Angeles to Lithuania to build this website. And so uh, we started this website and, and built it up from, you know, me and two guys in a closet effectively to about 70 people when I left in 2009. So sold my stake in that and then uh, and then moved on to pokerstars.com where I spent about four and a half years on their executive team running all kinds of various areas. That company sold. And at that point, I took six months off, which was six of the better months of my life, and then started getting into the crypto thing. Uh, I had a friend from PokerStars who was super, super into it. And so he, he, we just started going on it and we built a couple things early and just had a little uh, success with those. And that kept going. And then uh, one day we just sold one of our little mini projects and we're kind of like, well, what do we, what now? And that led us to the path ultimately that led us to Casino Coin, which is where we are now. Awesome, man. A cool story. Stone Temple Pilots is one of my childhood bands growing up. I would, I would say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a product of the 90s, a teenager of the 90s. So, it was definitely on my playlist. And I, it's interesting. I, about two years ago, I had another manager from STP on the show. Steve Stewart. Steve, Steve Stewart. Stewart. Yes. Yep. So Steve Stewart. So I worked for Steve Stewart Management. And so Steve was uh, was the manager and I was uh, what's called the RA responsible agent. So uh, most big bands have two managers. One guy that, let's just say, makes the bulk of the money and does- so Which one were you? The bulk of the money or the not bulk no, of the no. money? No, man. I was twenty. Four when I started, twenty five when I started. So Steve was about I don't know what is Steve maybe ten years older than me, six or seven years older than me, something like that. Uh, but Steve has a blockchain thing too. I forget what it is, but it's around royalties and uh, tracking and and whatever. And uh, he's a good dude. So, but I was the junior guy. I was a young guy and uh, was in way over my head. If you know the band, you know there was a lot of drugs and a lot of um, challenges, shall we say, okay. uh, in that band. But Steve and I both survived, uh, luckily. <laughs> And uh, we live to tell about it. Is Steve's project going on? I, I remember he was doing the, the Vest project, but I thought it closed. Is he doing something else? I don't know. Steve and I worked together 24 years ago. All right. And then you guys just went, you did your so, own thing. And that yeah, was yeah. That. I, I had lunch with him like when he started Vest. When okay. he started Vest and I was already in the space and whatever. So he, he uh, we just had a little kind of reunion and pick your brain kind of thing. But he's a super smart guy and, and somebody that I have a lot of respect for. Right on, right on. So Casino Coin, what mm-hmm. does it do? So Casino Coin is a payment mechanic for the regulated gaming business. So what that means is we allow companies, users to do things that fiat currency doesn't necessarily allow or doesn't allow at the speed or practicality uh, that we do, all the while being extremely regulator friendly and actually does a number of things that normal fiat currency can't do uh, from a regulated perspective. And and that's kind of how it started. You know, we went, we actually went first to regulators. I think my first meeting with the Malta Gaming Authority was in maybe Feb of 17, something like that. Uh, And we just sat down with them and said, hey, what do you want? You know, this is coming one way or another. And luckily there's a guy there called Carl Brinkat who was knowledgeable. And I was really surprised and really pleasantly surprised that there was a regulator who who was hip to blockchain and 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 was knowledgeable. So they've been a good uh, sounding board and and really really uh, proactive uh, with respect to what they're trying to accomplish there in Malta. But that's how it started. We went to regulators first, operators second, and then we were both Duncan and myself. Duncan is the head of the Casino Coin Foundation. Our gamblers, him more than me, but I enjoy a good gamble now and again. So we we started as customers and we knew what was broken about the process, and so we wanted to make something to make it better. Okay, I'm still confused what it does. Does it facilitate transactions between betters and casinos? Correct. So you go in. So let's say you're a better, right? Okay. So you're you're a gambler. And so you want to 
make a deposit at site X, let's say. So what you have to do is you have to go into site X and you have to give them all your documents, go through the KYC process. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't often have to do this until you, sometimes you don't have to do this until you cash out. Sometimes mm -hmm. these days you have to do it up front. Mm -hmm. But let's say you're actually a sports better. Okay. So you, you see the line on the Cowboys game is is seven. What does a line ah, mean? Sorry. So you see the, the betting spread. On the Cowboys game, it's Cowboys minus seven. Okay. So that's, you decide the Cowboys are the greatest team in the world. You want the Cowboys, right? Right. On. So you sign up for X, but then actually you look a day later, the game's Sunday, this is Thursday, let's say. You look a day later and, and it's six and a half over it at the competitor. Okay. So you think, well, obviously seven is not very common uh, uh, end spread for a, a football game. So six and a half gives you a big edge. Uh, so you decide, wow, I want that. So you have, now you have to go over to Y and you have to do the stuff you just did at X. Okay. Right. So you have to do your KYC. You have to go through the, the whole process. Uh, with us, you have to do KYC once. Okay. Right. So so you do once, and we we transmit. We do not keep the KYC, but uh, it's um, proxy served in the background. So it it just connects with a KYC partner, Jumio, who you know most of the or many of the gaming business use. It's very common. They're certainly very aware of Jumio and and their products. Uh, so there's a higher comfort level there. And so now you're in, you're faster, you're up, you're going, and it's a much less friction-filled process, if that makes sense. Additionally, from the customer perspective, one of the real frustrations, if you're not a gambler, you, you won't know this, but one of the real frustrations for gamblers is cashing out. Mm -hmm. So you not only have a sort of friction experience sometimes at the vendor's point, but you also have a friction experience with the bank because the banks don't love gaming. As you might know, banks here, that's how they killed online poker here mm -hmm. in America. Uh, so I worked for PokerStars, obviously, biggest online poker company in the world. And in 2011, you know, people think that online poker is illegal here, right? But it's actually not. Bank transactions involving online poker, they're illegal. And that's how they got around it. <laughs> so it, there's a lot of friction points. And, and this is really, uh, maybe jumping ahead, but I know one of your things you like to talk about is why do you need to do this? Mm -hmm. This is the main reason I need to do this. I watch from the inside the online poker thing happen in America. I watched the boom. I watched the subsequent ban. And I watched how it affected people all the way through the process. And it sucked. And it taught me a lot of lessons about who's really in control and how fine the lines are. You know, what separates law from sort of guideline, if you will, uh, and how those are enforced. And it left a bad taste in my mouth. Can you explain and that laws from guideline? Sure. So if you, if you ask 100 people, 1,000 people, whatever, is online poker illegal in America? Most of them would say yes. Hmm. Now, something has happened in, by the way, in the last few years, which is online poker is actually now legal in Nevada, New Jersey, Delaware. And, and there's states that are popping up that are legalizing. So there's not fully, if someone listening in those states right now will be like, hey, hang on. But right. if you're in California, if you're in any number of states, uh, it's not going to work. But the actual reality is they didn't want it because they couldn't figure out how to tax it, how to make money off of it, essentially, effectively. That's my argument anyway. Uh, and so, you know, it, it wound up being the thing where they just sort of decided they were going to do it this way, due process be damned. It was attached to a bill having to do with port security in the middle of the night with no discussion. And suddenly this industry that I was in was gone overnight. So I got a question about the taxes. You said that they couldn't figure out how to tax this. With the KYC AML that you are doing, it, that's mm. going to be reported to the IRS, of course. Yeah, well, in a if they yes. ask for it. Well, in markets that it's it that it's appropriate. So in the UK there's no tax on on gambling winnings. So it's not relevant. Okay. But if and when the day comes where this is used in the US, the US it's very far away from having anything like this being used in a online environment because so few of the states are regulated. So we're talking about but with percent of the population. But with casino coin, it is very easy to circumvent that, correct? I mean, if you're playing online poker, you're sitting here in California, you're, you're gambling in, in whatever country, you can just you know go to F, transfer that to your bank through Coinbase. There, there's that, a way. So there is a way, but that's not how we operate. So we're regulated markets only. Okay. Right. So we're only dealing in Europe right now. Gotcha. Uh, and yeah. And so and that's where the bulk of the of the activity is. That's where the bulk of the business is. Um, so I got off on a little bit of a tangent, which I'm, I am want to do at times, but that's what led me to do this, right? And that's what led to the building of this solution. But uh, let's get back to, to Casino Coin. So from a customer's perspective, you have a very friction-filled process oftentimes when you cash out. With us, cash outs are instant approving, assuming the partner is, is releasing the funds. So assuming the casino is releasing the funds, which they have no reason not to do. There's no bank standing in the way. 
you'd get your money back straight away. If you currently, if you are in Holland and you play a slot product online and you win a thousand euros, it can be a process to withdraw. And in fact, it's become kind of an art with some operators that what they'll do is intentionally kind of delay the process. Well, if the money's sitting in your account and you've had a few drinks, what are you going to do? Gamble with it. Gamble it again. Oh, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> See, that, right? that's, a, that's a gambler's mindset. I was like, yeah, I guess I'll wait for it. Yeah, right. Exactly. No, no, no. So, so the, the gambler's mindset, especially when the drinks are involved is, uh, hey, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm going to turn that 1K into 2K, right? Right. So, uh, you know, we, we create solutions in that way uh, for the player. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, for the operator, that's where our probably biggest benefits lie, right? So the operator, one of their main cost centers at the moment, and definitely their biggest pain in the ass at the moment is the customer facing stuff they have to deal with. So that's stuff like your KYC, that stuff like all of the anti-money laundering regulation, which is very necessary, by the way, and very important, but also very burdensome uh, for them as an organization. Responsible gambling. Now, our responsible gambling features aren't fully built into the platform yet, but we're working on them and those are those are in development. Uh, but these are incredible cost centers for these companies and becoming just a real impact on their bottom line, coupled with the fact that the regulators are a little bit sometimes inconsistent. I don't know if inconsistent is the right word, but basically their their attitude is like, well, here's what we think the rules are, but it's kind of a loose sort of thing. And But if you break them, we'll let you know with a big fine. So it's it's really created a lot of problems for these businesses in an industry where the margins are quickly disappearing because mm-hmm. competition is so high and, and the um, and uh, uh, adoption is, is significant and, and some would argue at saturation point. Can, so their margins are disappearing, uh, and it creates a lot of problems. Can, can we go into the the blockchain a little bit of itself? It's, it's a ripple fork, and how, what are we actually doing with this? It's just it's a transfer of value throughout the blockchain, and what is the blockchain used sure. for? Sure, absolutely. So so let's be real clear about something. It's an XRP fork. Uh, speaking of fork, I get pitchforked if I say ripple. So it is an XRP fork. XRP fork. Gotcha. So the reason that it's necessary for us to have our blockchain is we need the control. We can't, the thing about something like Ethereum, right? And and the Ethereum team are very smart and working on some very, very cool stuff. But ultimately, if you're on Ethereum, you're at the mercy of the platform. Same with XRP. If we stay on XRP, uh, we're at the mercy of, of the XRP network. And so if we need changes made, if a regulator decides they need changes made, if we've discovered something that'll work for us uh, as a business, maybe better than XRP, we'd be at their mercy to make those changes. If they make changes that don't work for us, same thing, we have to take them. So we chose to fork XRP, make it our own blockchain. And that's also a lot more regulator friendly, right? So the, from a regulatory perspective, we can trace the path of every single coin from coin one. Well, yes, can you do that on other blockchains? Of course, but we have control over it and we've built a tool we call the Oculus Visual Explorer that makes it super, super easy for regulators who aren't necessarily techies, right? Because uh, they, they tend not to be, um, to just have a look. At the moment, if you're familiar with the Block Explorer, which I'm sure you are, mm-hmm. it's two giant QR codes, these long strings of characters, and mm-hmm. then some green and some red and blah, 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 blah. we've made it that it just says you know straight up joe who lives in london sent coins to bob who lives in paris nice right Simple. and so so the regulator can go in and see and so that that has a bunch of impacts right number one it has an impact with respect to the to a money laundering situation but also from a criminality perspective right so your buddy bob might be okay and you might be okay but actually bob has kind of a dodgy cousin named frank mm-hmm. and sometimes frank gives money to Bob to bet and but 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 all that stuff goes away with us. I mean it doesn't go away. The activity may still be there, but we can detect it. And it's something that regulars have responded extremely positively to and it's something where we think is definitely the future. But the blockchain is essential for it. It's in databases, you would just have a harder time. First of all, you're talking about databases being closed walls, right? Individual operators and individual entities will have their own databases, but when the when stuff moves around, you can look at it and you can track it certainly, but it's not as effective as a single base and single pool, if you will. The value of your coin, how, what, what is the value of your coin based off of? Can people can speculate on the coin, or is it just on what is uh, liquid in the markets within the gambling industry? I'm sorry, I'm not clear on the question. So, okay, on coin, for example, on coin market cap, the mm-hmm. market cap is 25 million. Yep. The, the, that market cap, for example, if I went onto an exchange, I could buy casino coin or is the casino coin only traded within the regulated gambling industry? I see. No, no, no. So you certainly can uh, buy them on exchanges. We don't really focus on the exchange part of it. We've never 
it got so goofy last year. I had some crazy people calling me up and saying, Hey, I can get you on X exchange for, you know, millions of dollars. And it's like, yep. yeah, yep. that's not us, man. That's just not us. So, so we don't really focus on that part of it. Our, our theory has always been, let's build this thing. Uh, let's make it right. Let's get it used by the way, there's a novel concept and then the value will come. And, and so, yes, is it, is it tradable? Is it Bible? Absolutely. But our approach has, has always been one of, you know, let's get the product out in the market and then let's start talking about it. Excellent. What is the market like right now in, in Europe? How much people are actually using this in their systems? Well, it's not legal in any jurisdiction yet, but Malta is just put together the first sort of uh, structured thing and the first licenses are about to be issued really almost any day now. So it's coming. But we had to go the fully regulated route because that's the way we do it. You know, certainly there, you'll see tons of Bitcoin casinos out there and, and ETH casinos out there, and those are, are active and they are used, but they don't give regulators the same uh, comfort uh, necessarily that that our solution does. Awesome, man. If people want to find out more about CasinoCoin, where can they find you or find more information about CasinoCoin? Yeah, so www.casinocoin.org. That is our nonprofit foundation, CasinoCoin Foundation. And uh, we have a Discord. That's our primary social channel. Uh, search, I think it's chat.casinocoin or casinocoin.chat. Uh, and you should be able to find us. John Caldwell, thank you for coming on Crypto 101 and telling us about CasinoCoin, sir. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. I hope that it was educational and we learned a little bit about these three projects. Horizon, Decred, Casino Coin, thank you very much for coming on the show. Don't forget, wherever you're listening to this episode, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star rating and a great comment. It helps us stay visible and helps us keep pushing forward to make great episodes of Crypto 101. And we'll see you in the future episodes of Crypto 101 with more 101s on different projects in the space as well as great conversations with some amazing people. We'll see you in future episodes of Crypto 101. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.